the house of libation when they when they found out that i was a kid and i was homeless they literally snatched me up off the street gave me a home to to sleep they gave me food they gave me shelter they gave me clothes they gave me all the acknowledgement my life was saved by my barroom family It's the TMI Project Podcast, a series of stories about the too-much-information parts of ourselves we usually leave out because we're too ashamed or embarrassed. I'm Eric Harris. And I'm Kate Lee Kalnick. We're your host of Season 5, Black Trans Stories Matter. Before we get started, just want to let you know that as the TMI implies, some content might be too much information for some listeners. And remember... Your support keeps our content free and accessible to everyone who wants to listen. So if you like what you hear and you're able to chip in at tmiproject.org, thank you. While you're there, sign up for the mailing list so you'll be sure to find out about our next live performance of Black Trans Stories Matter with all new storytellers happening in June of 2023. It's going to be so good, you don't want to miss it. Let's dive in. Today, we're celebrating Cece. I'm Cece Swatow. I'm from the Grando Big Apple. My pronouns is Miss, She, Queen, Goddess. Cece is a trans activist, ballroom icon from the House of Labasia, Actress, director, and most important to us, she is the mother of Black Trans Stories Matter. I wouldn't even be here chatting with you right now if CeCe hadn't pointed me out at one of the first planning meetings and said, Eric, we need you part of this program. And Eric was like, I think on the fence at the time, like, I was like, no, you're going to do this. We're capable like, I'd eat you. Who am I to say no to that? Cece is an absolute icon, and she's got big plans for where Black Trans Stories Matter is headed. Sign me up, because I'm ready to go to Sacramento, tell our story. I'm ready to go to Canada. I'm ready to go to London to tell our story. I'm ready for all that. But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's slow it down and take a look in the rearview mirror. Because like most icons, Cece has traveled a long and winding hero's journey to land where she is today. Cece grew up in Sunset Park, Brooklyn, which historically was a neighborhood known for being home to many immigrant families. Cece and her siblings lived with her single mother from Honduras, who without a green card or much English, worked hard as a home health aide to make ends meet. I came from a struggle, came from a broken home, mom with three boys, having battles and struggles and substance abuse, alcohol, having to pinch every dollar. A dad that was very promiscuous and out there and 
not saying that he didn't care about his children. He just didn't have it together. So that's how it went for me until the time I became 12 and I really started to express myself physically in my younger years before 12. It's like, oh, this could be a phase that my child likes to play with dolls or wants to walk in my high heels. But I think at 12 is when I just said, but you're living a lie, you're in the wrong body. At that age, I didn't know what it meant to live and walk in your truth because I was still a child. So my initial thoughts is, okay, let me steal the wig, let me steal the high heels, put it in a sneaker box and store it away and nobody can find it, only but you. And when nobody's around, you just transform yourself into that woman, to that gorgeous woman that you aspire to be. At that age is when my life took a major turn of events. My mom had her brother moving with us from another country. He started to see things and was basically her eyes and ears and would report back to her that, oh, your child, your son is playing dress up. Your son is not going to school. Your son is cutting class. Your son has these weird men. It was hard to come out to my mom because she's just one way, one way only because of her culture and her religion. So to, to her, I was the devil. I was the curse that she had to escape, that she had to eliminate from the rest of her children. So I was that curse. And my mother, she just signed me away into the system. And at 12, it hurts. It hurts. <laughs> I said I wasn't gonna do this, but it hurts. Because you're confused about who you are. But you're more confused because she gives you away. And then you ask yourself why she just kept your two brothers. So, I tried, as I was growing up, I tried not to think about it so hard, but it was always in the back of my mind. And even though I'm an adult, it still haunts me to this day. According to the National Center for Transgender Equality, one in five transgender people have experienced being unhoused at some point in their lives. An estimated 20 to 40% of all homeless youth in the United States is part of the LGBTQ community. Trans youth are disproportionately represented in this population. They may be placed in gendered housing that does not align with their identity or denied shelter entirely. It was tough. I was in Covenant House placement for maybe two months, and then I was transferred into the Atlantic Boys Home. When I first entered, I had like this army bag <laughs> of just belongings. And um, they took me upstairs and says, this is your room. You're gonna share this room with four other boys. And I was very flamboyant. Like hair was long. I would have a bandana tied up like a bow tie on the side and the boys looked at me and they just started to laugh. 
And I only lasted in there, believe it or not, for three days because they thought they were going to bully me. And I came from the tough neighborhood of Sunset Park, Brooklyn. So I was a tough fighter and what? You're not gonna, you're not about to punk me. I'm gonna beat you up and I don't care if I get into all types of troubles and I get kicked out because I really wanted to get kicked out. Instead of getting kicked out, I just magically found a window with a fire escape to it and just waited for everybody to go to um, sleep and that was my escape. And I never looked back. I went to the West Village and I remember just seeing them voguing, like this, this sense of family unity. Um, voguing, music playing, um, everyone laughing, talking, hugging, and I just felt like I belonged. I felt like that was hanging. It was here that Cece was first introduced to ballroom culture and met her own ballroom family. Founded in New York City by Black and Latinx drag queens in response to the racism they experienced in established white-dominated drag circles, Ballroom is about more than performing on stage. It's a lifestyle. Many people in their life belong to groups called houses that support each other as chosen family. A ballroom house is like a regular family. You have your grandparents, your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your uncles, your aunts your cousins, your nieces, your nephews. It's a, a family that competes on the runway for whatever cash prize they're giving out for the night. It's broken into certain individual categories and just some people in the house may have perfect that category. And they have that, the confidence level is built up to wanna walk that category. Before Cece met the iconic founders of the Royal House of Labesia, most notably founding members Crystal and Pepper Labesia, Cece spent many days and nights on her own, running the streets of New York City from the West Village to Harlem. On this particular fateful evening, after a day spent exploring 125th Street in search of a new pair of sneakers she could figure out how to hustle and show off in school the next day, she decided to rest under the bleachers in a nearby park. After nightfall, the infamous crew walked by, and as the headlights of a passing car illuminated CC for a moment, they stopped and realized there was a child there. So the next thing I know, it's like a posse, a mob coming. And I'm like, Girl, you either run or you toughen it out. But because you're from Brooklyn, New York, you're going to toughen it out. So they look at me and they say, oh, my, you're a child. You're a baby. What are you doing out here? And I don't respond to them because I don't even know who the hell you is. You ain't my parent. Like, you ain't got no guardianship over me. And so I remember Miss Chris, who's still in my life to this day, grabs me and says, where are you from? So she tells Portia to check my pockets to see if I had any identification card, like a school card or whatever. I mean, that was already disposed. And so they say, well, where do you live? 
I still don't answer because I'm fighting and I'm being tough. I'm trying to see if I can see anything to grab, to clobber one of them over the head and run. But it was a whole mob and I'm like, Cece, you can't fight a whole mob. They're like, okay, well, since you don't want to talk, we're going to call the police. Then the police is going to find out who you are. So I get to talking. And I said, well, I don't have nowhere to go. So I'm just out here just being me. And so Miss Chris at the time says, come with me, child. It was her Porsche Rose. And they bring me to 132nd Street and 7th Avenue. To this building. And I go up to the third floor. And Miss Chris is like, well, this is your bedroom child right here until we figure out who you are and why you was even outside. I started to feel like I can trust. There was a sense of they mean good towards me. They would get me clothes. They would do my hair. And it was like a sex schedule. Like school, back home, homework, dinner, bed. But Cece wasn't in that bed. Cece was back out on the streets. I would make like this fake dummy with a pillow and go right back on the streets. And guess what they would do? The child is gone. There's only one place the child went. And they always found me. And they would drag me right back. I think I was like around 17. And we would just be all over Greenwich Village carrying on. And so I would follow them. Even though I knew I had a curfew, which was like 10 o'clock on a Saturday. And I remember there was this big event that was happening in Philadelphia called the Fire Philly Ball. I wanted to grace that stage on. And I said, oh, I'm going to make it happen. And I made it happen. But when they caught wood, I was on that stage. They said, snatch that child off that stage and send that child on a bus back to New York. And that's what happened. I got in trouble. And then, you know, I started to express my creativity, my visions of wanting to be an actress. They said, we're going to help you with one thing that you're lacking. And that was self-esteem because I was so broken. I came from trauma and I didn't know that I came from trauma. They knew, they saw something that I refused to see. It was really Pepper that built confidence. I used to come back home from school. The kids would read me fiercely and I would cry. And Pepper said, look at them. And you read them from head to toe. And so she taught me how to read her, Mother Chris, Portia. They taught me how to read her. And that is what became my protection mechanism. And that gave me confidence. In addition to her numerous acting credits, including the New York Times Critics Pick Off-Broadway production of Street Children, Cece is an accomplished director, writer, and activist. In 2018, Advocate Magazine recognized Cece for her contributions to the ballroom community and the performing arts. TMI Project had the great fortune of meeting Cece in 2018 for a project called Lifelines. Lifelines was a 20-year anniversary gift to the Trevor Project. 
the first suicide prevention service for LGBTQ youth. We believe if stories about suicide are contagious, the stories of survival can be too. While the Trevor Project was not available to Cece growing up, she identified as a survivor of years of suicidal ideation. There's been many days. I just said, I'm tired. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of battling. The thoughts of just going onto the Brooklyn Bridge or the Williamsburg Bridge and just jumping off, or just running in front of a fast-moving train. All those thoughts were there. And just by seeing how my life has went, and I've overcame those struggles, I could fight anything. I was given another chance, and I could fight anything. TMI Project invited CC to participate in the program. We believe CC's story is a pillar of trans history and a source of inspiration for generations to come. During the time the participants spent in Brooklyn workshopping their stories, Cece spiced up the week by taking some of her comrades on a field trip to a ball, which for some was their first ballroom experience. A good time was had by all, but Cece had an especially moving run-in with someone from her past. When I went to the ball, I ran into one of my gay parents that saved me at the age of 12. Even though they were going through their own struggles, they managed to make sure that I was well taken care of. And for them to have said to me yesterday that they were so proud of me. Because they know my struggle, they know my story. And they see where, where I came from and where I'm headed to. For them to have acknowledged and said, you make me so proud and that you're still here with us because many during my time are dead and gone. They're not here and I'm still here. I still got a mission. I still got stories to tell and I'm going to tell them. You're in for a treat because that is what she's going to do right now. Without further ado, here's Cece. It is October 31st, 2017. I wake up at Jacoby Medical Center after slipping into a coma. I notice three nurses in my hospital room. Two of them are dressed in costumes. One appears to have horns like the devil. And the other looks like she just stepped out of Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> I feel lost. I want to say something, but my voice has been taken away from me. I feel like I'm standing in a gray area, like 
I'm in an episode of The Twilight Zone. I keep asking myself, why am I here? And why am I being cared by the devil and the cat? <laughs> I feel to start hang hunger pangs, but I don't trust any of these people. So I starve myself until the next day. I wake up in the morning and I'm still not able to speak. I start pounding on my chest. It's my only form of communication. I can't move my body because of all the medical wiring attached to me. My legs feel as stiff as two rocks because of a cast. I'm also started to notice I have a catheter attached to my neck. Again, I feel alone in days, as if I'm in some movie. I keep wondering if Mike Myers is going to make his killer entrance from behind the curtain that covers each corner of my bed. A team of doctors enter, and one proceeds to open a chart that has my name on it. Miss Swazel, he says. You're in the ICU because you have a rare blood condition called TTP, on top of the diabetes and the lymphoma cancer. I'm afraid to tell you that because of your condition, you'll never be able to walk again. I cannot accept the medical report the doctors just gave me. I'm going to be confined to a wheelchair for the rest of my life. Me? The fierce, fabulous Bissisi, ballroom legend, who spent decades walking the runway? Oh no, honey, I don't think so. <laughs> I try with all my might to get up and notice there's no sensation in my legs. The days grow darker and colder. I'm no use to myself or others. I lay in bed, devastated, not wanting to believe the doctor's diagnosis. I keep asking myself, is this it? One afternoon, my son comes by from school to bring me some food because that bland, non-seasoned hospital food tastes so nasty. <laughs> when he appears at my doorway, he's out of breath. He says something that changes everything. That hallway down to your room is so long, it's like a runway. <laughs> Just the thought of runway forces me to sit up on my bed. <laughs> I chuckle as I remember my days and nights preparing and walking under the sizzling lights of a glittered runway during my ballroom career. I can't help but to think about how, how I already walked through so much. I walked through the foster care system, understanding the term adoption at the age of 12. I walked through the doors of the House of La Beja when they took me in as one of their own. I walked the streets. I walked the pier. I walked onto stage when I made my first theatrical debut. I walked through losing my dad and twin sister on the same day. The more I think about it, I can't help but wonder if my walking days are over. Maybe I've already walked through enough. 
My son says, Mom, I know you're tired, but I still have a life ahead of me. And if you can't walk for yourself anymore, walk for me. It's exactly what I needed to hear. I'm so determined to undo that wrong diagnosis of never walking again. I stand up alone by latching onto whatever I can and proceed to walk towards the door. I'm able to open the door and before me, I see that long runway my son was talking about. <laughs> I notice the walls have built-in handrails. So I hold on for dear life and try to walk. I do this for three consecutive days determined to regain my physical stability. One day, one of the nurses sees me struggling and comes on over to me and says, Ms. Suazo, you shouldn't be up by yourself without your wheelchair. I tell her, girl, leave me alone. <laughs> this is something I have to do for myself. I inhale three times and with all my strength I can muster, I let my hand off those rails and feel so relieved to exhale, knowing I just made a way for myself by rewriting my medical diagnosis. Eventually, I walk myself out of that hospital. Shortly after, I have the highlight of a lifetime, standing on my own two feet, cheering as I watch my son at his graduation. I'm here for the young people now. I recently had the pleasure of visiting my old stomping grounds from the ballroom career I had for 26 years in the house of La Beja. Being a part of the ballroom family prepared me to be a warrior in my everyday struggles. No matter what obstacles are set in front of me. I'm a woman who has walked through many storms and fierce battles. Most of my generation are dead and gone, but I'm still here standing and walking. I may not walk the runway anymore, but I will continue to walk and fight for the next generation. I'm paying it forward now, just like so many others did for me. Now slay bitches. <laughs> We caught up with CC recently, and this is what she had to say about her life after telling her story. This was like literally five years ago during the workshop of TMI and Lifelines. And I just thought, hey, maybe that was just it. That one week of work and they flew all of us down to New York City and I was living in LA. And I just thought that that was the end of my journey. And it really wasn't, that was just a start. Lifeline dropped up in 2018, and a couple of years later, Cece reached out to the team at the TMI project. Twenty twenty was a disastrous year. Over two hundred murders. I said, I am tired. How can I use my platform? I have to link up with a powerhouse of an oil that's going to hear me, hear my concerns, hear the community's concerns. And seeing that these doors were open to me, I said, how can you be an asset to the next generation? That's when we started Black Trans Stories Matter. CC had the vision and connected with TMI Project to make it a reality. 
And it took an amazing team, not just Cece. It took an amazing team, all of us, united at the forefront. And that's what's simply amazing. I'm so honored that all of you guys have been placed into my life. CC's story has glitz, it has grief, it has beauty, it's a call to action. Honoring the woman who started it all is the perfect way to end this season. Thank you, CC, for bringing this program to life and being a resource and the beacon of hope for the next generation. I'm Eric. And I'm Kate Lee. Black Trans Stories Matter was created by Barum Icon, actress, and TMI Project storyteller, Ms. CC Suazo. The program and workshops are led by me and Kate Lee Kalnick. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps. TMI Project is available to offer true storytelling workshops and performances for your school or workplace. This episode of Season 5 of the TMI Project podcast, Black Trans Stories Matter, is produced in partnership with Radio Kingston. It was written and edited by me, Eric Harris. Sound, editing, and design by Blake File. Our theme song is Secrets by Edison Woods. TMI Project's executive director is Eva Tenuto. Our operations and programs manager is Blake File. Our marketing and digital coordinator is Laura Marie Ruoco. Our graphic designer is Lauren Gill. In addition to me and Capely Kalnick, our workshop leaders are Perla Iora, Haley Downs, Rain Grayson, Ray Lipkind, Dara Lurie, Julie Novak, Blake File, Eva Tenuto, and Micah. We'd also like to thank all of this season's storytellers, the new and returning listeners, and the entire TMI project team who made this possible. To learn more, support our work, and find a special writing prompt so you can start telling your story, visit tmiproject.org slash podcast. Yeah.